Thank you. You may be seated. All right, go ahead and grab your seat. We did have a great week at Camp Halawasa this last week. 31 kids, great staff, uh, everything uh, went well. We thank you for all your prayers. We had a, we had a great time, and, and I see a couple of campers even made it to church here at the early service. Can you believe that? Uh, and you can ask them all about camp and what they liked the best. Uh, besides the green anaconda, you can, you know, that's a different thing, but you can ask them about that. So I've been uh, enjoying doing these sermons by request uh, through the summer, and, and I have to say I've got way more suggestions than I'm going to be able to cover this summer. Not that you can't still turn in requests. I mean, maybe what you turn in is going to be something that I think, oh, this is, this is something that we really need to, to cover and hear about, but I'm just saying that to let people know we're, we're not going to get all of them uh, covered that have been turned in. And uh, as uh, Al had mentioned uh, in his prayer, um, I knew this week might be a little bit tough for me in the fact of, of uh, directing camp all week. I would have a limited amount of time for study and sermon prep. I, I brought my computer and my study and everything with me, but, you know, there was just always kids calling, you know, another game of Gaga, you know, and another, you know, whatever, we're, we're doing this kind of stuff. So it was a little limited, uh, but uh, we worked our best uh, through that. We had, a, we had a great time with it. Um, and uh, I thought, you know, well, there's lots of good requests here. What will God want me to do as I'm reading through and studying and praying about that? And, of course, he leads me uh, to do one. Uh, that is going to cover an entire book of the Bible. Uh, and, and not just a little book. It's got 42 chapters. Um, and, and so um, fortunately, we don't have to do a detailed study of all 42 chapters. Otherwise, we'd be here a long time this afternoon. Uh, but um, the uh, request wasn't for the whole book, but just for the man. And, and not everything about the man, but one particular aspect about his life the request says this says I've um, always wanted to hear a sermon about Job how did he stay so loyal when everything kept crumbling around him well, I think that's a really good question so uh, grab your Bible open up to the book of Job uh, we'll start with chapter 1 as we work our way through uh, in fact we'll start by reading Job 1.1, 1, 1. easy book to find since it's right in front of Psalms, and Psalms right in front of the uh, middle of your Bible, so 
Go to that. You can find Job chapter 1, verse 1 says this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Father God, we do thank you for uh, just a beautiful day that you've given us. We pray uh, in thanksgiving for a great week of camp. We pray that the, the messages... Um, that these kids heard would, would penetrate deep in their hearts and that you would bring uh, a fruitful harvest from that. We pray for camp uh, that's uh, going on right now with the, the kids, uh, the young kids overnight camp and then uh, junior high camp starting this afternoon. God, just work in those situations. Uh, do your good uh, work that um, uh, may bear uh, fruit that lasts for eternity. And God, we do ask for safety, uh, we ask for health, but, but mostly, God, we ask for your spirit to work in powerful ways. And Lord, we uh, ask that same for us right now, that your Holy Spirit would be free to work in this time of, of preaching, that uh, nothing I say would hinder the message that you would want to bring across this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this request said they wanted to know about the loyalty of Job. And that means, of course, that we have to make sure that we're familiar with his story. And, and I always get a little worried, you know, when you, when you hear the word story, we tend to think of something that is, is made up and fictional, right? But a story is really just an account of what happened. And it can either be fact or fiction. Fiction. I mean, some stories, they, they uh, are made up out of our imaginations, uh, completely baseless, uh, you know, like Star Wars, just an imaginary thing. And, and some stories are true accounts of what really happened, like Apollo 13, right? So both of those are great space movies if you ever want to watch them, but one's completely made up, another one is based on, on reality, truth of what had happened. Well, the story of Job is a true story. It's a biography of what happened uh, in this man's life. And this particular uh, biography is really focused on one specific event uh, an incident in his life. And like all good stories, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if we want to understand the loyalty of Job, as, as this request uh, mentioned, then we need to look at all three parts of the story. And, and Job, I mean, Job is an interesting character. And not just because his name looks like Job, but apparently in Hebrew it's Job, I don't know, whatever. Uh, the, the beginning of the story uh, tells us that this guy lived in uh, what we would call the um, area of northern Arabia, what they call the land of Uz. Now, to me, Uz sounds like a place you'd rather be from than live in, but apparently... Apparently, uh, Job had done quite well for himself there. Uh, he built a solid reputation. Look at the way verse 1 describes him. Blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, this does not mean that the guy was sinless or perfect, right? I mean, the Bible makes it clear that nobody can live up to that standard of, of perfection, 
uh, were all sinners, but rather what it meant is that this man, in his basic character, was good. He had no glaring faults or, or deficiency. He was honest and trustworthy in his business dealings. He didn't act one way at home and then totally different uh, out in public. Uh, uh, everyone would vouch for his character. That, that's the kind of guy this person was. And that wasn't just man's assessment of him. That wasn't just some guy looking on and saying, wow, uh, from what I've noticed about this guy, here's what he seems like. This was actually God's assessment of him. Look at verse 8. It says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And I'm thinking, wow, uh, that's pretty awesome, right? If that's God's assessment of you, the way he would describe you, uh, that, that's a, a, a pretty great thing. But beyond his uh, sterling character, Job had also done uh, very well for himself financially. I mean, his investment portfolio was top-notch, right? He always bought the right stocks, Buy low, sell high. I mean, it worked great for him. His, 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 his uh, 401k was huge. All of his business ventures were churning out profits. Uh, everything was going his way. I mean, look, uh, according uh, by anybody's standard of measures, they were looking at him, this guy would be set for life. Uh, look at uh, verse 3. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. I mean, this, this guy had it made, right? And, and then on top of that, he had a great family. Back in the day when a large family was, was considered a boon and a blessing from God, especially if you happened to get sons that could uh, work, the, work the property and the farm with you and all this kind of stuff, uh, Job was, was doing great. He had seven sons and, and three daughters, and they were a close-knit family. I mean, they all loved each other. Each child uh, on the... Uh, day of his birthday would throw a feast for all the rest of his siblings and they would all come together into that child's house and, and they would feast and celebrate together. They, they, they loved to be together. It, it, all in all, I mean, life was really good for Job. He, he, he was the envy of the community. Everybody wanted to be like Job. What a great guy. However, at that moment, something totally unknown to Job but described for us here in Scripture takes place. See, the sh scene shifts from down on earth to up in heaven. And verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now, in the Old Testament, there are a couple of uh, places where that plural term, sons of God, is used to designate angels. All angels, uh, fallen angels, good angels, the, 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 the whole lot of them. And evidently, even though he had been tossed out of heaven for his rebellion, God still allowed Satan access to heaven on, on certain terms. Um, in fact, it says they were presenting themselves, and that idea of presenting themselves might indicate a formal proceeding as in giving an account of themselves. Uh, we don't know for sure, but this, this could actually be something that God required of Satan. 
But, but anyways, he's there, and, and God asks Satan what he's been up to, not for information. Understand that, right? God never has to ask a question to get information. He, he knows what he's doing. Whenever he asks a question, it's to get the person thinking whom he's asking that question to. But like a surly teenager, Satan doesn't give God a straight answer. He just says, oh, you know, I've been out wandering around to and fro on the earth, right? And, and, and then now this is where things get interesting. God points out to Job, uh, Satan, Job, right? God draws Satan's attention to Job. So God is the one who starts this whole thing. And, and he says, man, check this guy out. There is nobody else like him anywhere on the earth. And Satan sh kind of shoots back to God and says, well, yeah, sure. I mean, he follows you because look at all the good things you've done in his life. I mean, this guy's got it made. He's got everything he could want. Why wouldn't he follow you? But he then follows that up by saying this in verse 11. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Take away all those good things. Get rid of all those financial blessings that you've given him and all those wonderful things that he gets in joy in life. And I guarantee you, Satan is saying, I guarantee you, he'll just curse you to your face, God. So how does God respond to this taunt from Satan? Well, he says this, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. I mean, can you, can you believe that? God allows Satan full destructive power in Job's life. The only thing that is restricted or withheld from Satan is Job's life and health. Other than that, Satan can do whatever he wants. And keep in mind, Job hadn't done anything wrong, right? He'd been faithfully serving God. But now, all of a sudden, he was going to feel the wrath of Satan and the devil was going to let him have it with both barrels. And keep in mind, Job had no idea any of this was going on in heaven. And we don't know how much time elapsed between that encounter in heaven and, and the destruction that hit Job. But when it came, it was sudden and it was devastating. In one day, Job lost everything. He woke up in the morning thinking, this is a day like any other day. No idea, no suspicion that his world was going to crash around him that day. And he's going through the day minding his own business, doing what he's always done. When, when this, this uh, servant um, comes, comes running in to him and, and says, man, Job, Job, uh, the Sabians, uh, they, they, they attacked and, and they raided and they all, stole all the donkeys and, and, and the oxen and they killed all of the servants and, and I'm the only one that escaped to, to tell you about this. And, and he's 
not even done telling his story uh, of what's happened. And, and, and here comes another beleaguered servant coming in. And he says, Job, Job you'll never believe what happened. But, but the, uh, the servants guarding the sheep and everybody out there, that this fire fell from heaven and just consumed and killed all the sheep and all the servants. And, and I'm the only one that escaped to tell you. And, and he's telling his story. And before he's even done, another one comes running in and says, it says, we're under attack. The, the, the Chaldeans have come and, and they've stolen uh, all, of the, uh, all of the camels and they've killed all of the, uh, the servants with them. And, and, and just like that, his financial prosperity, his retirement, his everything he had was wiped out. And after hearing about this devastating financial calamity, one more servant shows up with the most shocking news of all. He says, Job, Job, your kids, they, they, they were all together in, in your son's, one of your son's house celebrating and feasting their birthday and, the, and this giant wind came out of the desert and collapsed the house. And everyone was killed. All of his children in one day. So how did Job respond to these distressing and, and, and painful calamities? Well, first of all, we're told that he tore his robes and, and shaved his head. Those were uh, two outward symbols uh, of a broken heart. Those were the things that a devastated man would do who was in deep, deep mourning. But even in his mourning, we're told that he worshiped God. And verse 21 says, He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He was recognizing the fact that, that God was sovereign and, and in control, and even though he didn't like what had happened to him one bit, he chose to worship God. Now, once again, the scene shifts back to heaven. And God is there and Satan is being presented before him and, and, and he says, Satan, see, I, I told you Job would stay true no matter what. But Satan responds this way. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. How many times have you heard, you know, someone that's gone through some really difficult situation or uh, had facing some type of loss and people will say, well, at least you still got your health, right? And, and, and people could do that to Job, you know, like, yeah, you lost all your money, you lost everything you had and your family's killed. Hey, at least you still got your health. Not much help, is it? But our health does mean a lot. And Job did still have his health up to this moment. 
God allowed Satan to take away Job's health. Satan caused Job to be covered, it says, from head to foot with painful boils, huge, painful boils. It says that he pitifully sat down in a pile of ashes and took a piece of broken pottery, a shard of pottery, and began to scrape his flesh, breaking open the boils to allow the pus and infection to drain out. Incredibly painful situation. All in all, he was a miserable guy. And that's when his loving and supportive wife speaks up and says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And once again, Job answers with, with complete loyalty to God. It says, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God's hand and not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. That, that's the beginning of the story. Okay, that's, that's how it starts. Uh, the middle of the story it goes all the way from chapter 3 through the end of chapter 37, and we're going to skip that for now and come back to that uh, in, in a bit. Uh, but let's go to the end of the story now. The end uh, of the story actually starts in chapter 38 where God himself now confronts uh, Job with a series of 77 questions that last all the way through uh, chapter 41 of Job. Okay? So you've got like four chapters worth of questions where, where, where God is just asking one question of, after another of Job, not expecting or even giving Job any opportunity to answer those questions. And then in chapter 42, when God gets all done asking uh, all those questions, Job replies by saying, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So now, here at the end of the story, after enduring all of these tragedies, right, his financial ruin and the heartache of losing his family, his children, in the end, we see that Job is still worshiping God by declaring God's greatness and God's sovereignty. You can do whatever you will, God, and then along with that, man's inability to alter any of God's plans or purposes. So you know what, if the beginning of the story and the end of the story was all that we knew about Job, we really would have to marvel at his loyalty as the person making the request said, wouldn't we? And typically that is what most Christians seem to be familiar with is, is the very beginning and, and the very end. And, and you read that and you think about those two parts of the story and you see how he stayed true and faithful to God after one after another uh, disaster bombarded him. It didn't, he, he kept his heart there. And, and this was, you know, this was after everything had been going good in his life, right? I mean, everything had been great for who knows how many years, long enough that he had adult children. And, and, and 
people would look at him and say, oh, wow, I, could, I wish I could be like Job. He, he's the envy uh, of everyone. God surely has blessed him and, 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 and given him everything. And then wham, the bottom falls out of his life completely, entirely, everything. And yet he continued to worship God. And, and maybe you have kind of the same question that the, the person writing this request have, and that is, how? Right? How is that even possible? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, I would, I would like to be like that. I would like to maintain a, a worshipful heart and, and attitude even when everything seems to be going wrong. I, I want to stay true to God when, when life is crumbling around me, but but I, I don't know if I can. In fact, you may go a step further and say, I, I know I can't because just in different things I've faced, that's not how I've seen myself responding. You know, as, as humans, we have this tenden, tendency to play the comparison game, right? And, and chances are, very few of us in here would be able to claim that we have had the same kind of bad day that Job had. Right? I mean, that's not even fair to call it a bad day because that's not a bad day. This is devastating. But comparisons, they go right out the window when the tragedy that happens happens to us. Right? I mean, it doesn't matter that we didn't lose, like Job didn't lose absolutely everything. When tragedy hits us, the, the pain and the emptiness and the hurt that we feel uh, is so overwhelming and so deep and painful that it almost feels like what Job had to feel like. And maybe in that moment, the last thing you feel like doing is worshiping God. And then in turn, that in itself makes you feel like a rotten Christian. Or, or maybe even worse, maybe, maybe you're facing some hardship or, or trials right now, but you know it's not anywhere near as, uh, as bad or as tragic as, as what Job endured, and yet you still find yourself struggling. And Satan takes that opportunity to whisper in your ear that, well, obviously, you're a wimpy Christian. You must be a lousy Christian that God is really unhappy with because instead of worshiping and trusting God, you've got some other feelings going on and they're not happy feelings. They're not worshipful feelings. They're not thoughts that you're proud of. They're not thoughts that you would want anybody else to know about because if other people knew about them, you'd be afraid of what they would think of you if they knew the struggles that you were having emotionally. Well, before you condemn yourself too much, let's take a, a quick look at the middle of Job's story. And as I mentioned, the middle of his story is like 36 chapters long, so obviously we're just going to pull out a few highlights here uh, in these last few minutes and, and look at those. But I think these will be helpful because these highlights uh, that, that I want us to notice are, are some of the emotional struggles that Job had. 
we're told that right after, you know, right after that bad day, when all of this news, when everything crashed, when everything went wrong, that Job sat in silence for seven days in mourning. And, and, and he actually had three good friends who showed up and sat with him, uh, just being there with him uh, while he was in pain. And, and the guy, obviously, indefinitely was in a great deal of pain. At the end of chapter 2, we read, Then they sat down on the ground with him, with Job, for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. Very great. I mean, and, and these, these were good guys. I mean, when they came in there, and they saw what had happened to Job and what he was enduring. Th th there, there was no words to make it any better. And, and so they just, they just sat there with him. And when they sat there in silence with him, they, they were pretty good comforters. Now, if you know the story of Job, a little later on, they opened their mouths and things went downhill from there. But that's, that's, not, the, that's not the focus uh, of this message, so we're not going to get into that. But these guys were there for him in his pain and they sat there and, and sitting in that silence was a good thing. And Job, Job is the one who after seven days breaks the silence. And, and here is what he expressed. Here's what his feeling was when he finally broke the silence. Uh, it says afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. That's what he was feeling. That's what his emotions we're going through. In fact, he went into this long lament, uh, just uh, uh, bemoaning um, uh, his, his life and, and the fact that he's even alive. In fact, he says, why did I not just die at birth, come forth from the womb and expire? I, I wish I was dead. Better yet, he says, if you read the lament, he, he wishes he had never even been conceived. Never even started. Had you ever wished you'd never been born? People hurt you. They disappoint you. Life stinks. Things have gone all wrong and you're miserable. And you just wish that you could die. Or that you had never even been born. If you ever felt that way, you're not the only one. You're not the first one. See, that's exactly how Job felt. Let's move on. Listen, listen to what he says in chapter 6. Oh, that my grief were actually weighed and laid in the balances together with my calamity, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the seas. In other words, he is, Job is saying, it's not fair. I mean, sure, some, some trouble comes into everyone's life, but this is bigger, this is worse than I deserve. I mean, hey, I've been trying to be good. I've been trying to follow God. I've been trying to do the things that I'm supposed to do. And yeah, I know that everybody's going to, you know, have some bad things that happen to them, but, but this, I mean, the balance isn't even there. It, it far outweighs. This is not fair. It's more than I deserve. And then Job goes on and says, What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should endure? Is my strength the strength of stones or my flesh of bronze? And, he's, and now he's just saying, Man, I, I can't handle it. I, I cannot handle it. This is 
too much for me. I'm not strong enough. There's no way that I can endure this agony. I cannot get through this. I can't bear it. Does any of that sound familiar? Are those things you've maybe said to yourself before? And Job keeps going. Remember that my life is but breath. My eyes will not again see good. Now he's saying, this is it. I'm stuck here. This, this is the way the rest of my life is going to be. Bad and miserable. Things will ch never change. It's never going to get any better. It's bad, and it's always going to be bad. Again, have you ever felt that way? Or maybe you're even feeling that way now. And yet Job wasn't done. Keep going. Chapter 9. If I called, if I prayed, and God answered me, I could not believe that he was even listening to my voice. In other words, I don't think God's even there. I don't think he's listening. E even if he answered, I wouldn't really believe he was listening to me. And of course, implicit in that is God doesn't care, right? Because that's why he's not listening. God, God's not, he, he doesn't care, he's not listening. We could keep going for quite a while with these emotions of Job, but I'm just going to look at one more, chapter 10. We're not even a third of the way through his middle of the story here. But here's what Job says. I loathe my own life. And I'll give full vent to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. He's mad. He's mad at God and he's going to let God know about it. I'm going to give full vent. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not speaking nice. I'm going to let it all fly because it's the bitterness of my soul that this is coming from. So tell me, did you know that those were the feelings that Job was experiencing or the thoughts that were going through his mind. So let's go back to this sermon request for today. How could Job stay so loyal when everything was crumbling around him? Well, if by loyal you mean struggling with feelings of anger towards God to the point where you hate your life and you wish you were dead and that you can't believe God even cares or listens to you and that things will never ever change and get any better because life's just not fair. Well, then Job's loyalty looks a lot like our own, doesn't it? But here's what we have to remember. This is the middle of the story, not the end. 
You know, Job, Job started well by worshiping God when tragedy first struck. And, and maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Like that initial reaction when, when something bad happens and, and right away you run to God, oh God, you know, and, 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 and I don't know what's happening, God, but I trust you. And, and you have that initial reaction of, of, of throwing yourself uh, into God's care. But the longer he dwelt on and stewed about what had happened to him, the more despondent and hurt and angry disappointed he became in fact if you read and and study uh the story of job he gets to the point where he was demanding that god would give an account of himself to job you got to explain yourself god he wanted to know the why question right he, he needed the answer why i don't i don't get this why is all this happening to me And you know what? I, I do not know where you are this morning. Maybe there's some in here today who have been facing some very difficult things in life. And maybe you've wrestled with some of these same emotions that Job felt. And I can't tell you why those things are happening or what God will do through them. But here's what I can tell you. You're not at the end of your story either. In all of his hurt and anger, God came to Job in compassion, not condemnation. God didn't cast Job aside and say, hey, as soon as you get your attitude better, the boy, then I'll, then I'll talk with you or do something. He, he met Job right where he was. And you know what? God didn't tell Job what was going on. As far as we know, Job never knew why any of these things happened to him. But what God did do was provide Job with a fresh vision of himself. Job saw again at the end of his story the splendor and the majesty and the power of God. He was reminded that God was in, on the throne and that he was still ruling and that he was in control even if from Job's limited human point of view or perspective it looked like everything was in chaos or out of control. It wasn't. Job could trust God in his pain even when he didn't understand why. Even when everything was crumbling around him. See, Job's loyalty was not that he didn't struggle with anger, with hurt, with pain, with all these emotions. His loyalty was that he chose to, to cling to God even in that. And at times he was maybe barely clinging by the ends of his fingernails. But he was going to hold on to God anyways. And it was that fresh vision of God that allowed Job to come to grips with his anguish 
and then once again begin to worship God for who God is. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You're clinging to God, but it hurts and you're angry or you've got questions and you're wondering why and you don't have things figured out. And you need a fresh vision of who God is, a reminder of His greatness and power. Oh, you, you could go and you could read all those questions that God asked Job and that might help you with it. But if you want the best fresh reminder, then go to the cross. Look at what God has done. Look at who God is because it's His love for you that caused Him to do that. Get a fresh vision of God and that'll change your perspective of the pain that you're enduring. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us and even in the heartaches and the pains and the tragedies of life, you are still God and you are in control and your plans and your purposes will come to fruition. But in all of that pain, God, you help us to see how much you love us through Jesus Christ. So give us that fresh vision. Remind us again of your power and your purpose. We pray, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have one final song. Please stand. <laughs>